Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, We have been reading the book of Acts together, and last week we saw that before Jesus ascended, uh, he told the first Christians that they were his witnesses and that they would have everything that they needed to be his witnesses when the Holy Spirit came to them. Uh, So they went back to Jerusalem to wait, and that is where we pick up this morning. I'm going to read from Acts 2, uh, verses 1 through 13. You can follow along where it's printed in the order of worship or in a Bible, or you can just listen as I read from Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to the Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask now that you be happy to do what you always do through your word. This word that we've read and heard together, that we're going to talk about together, would you meet us by your spirit in it? Meet us wherever we find ourselves this morning as people, um, from whatever kind of weeks or mornings or days or months or even years that we have come from. Meet us where we are in faith, whether it's strong or weak or we're not sure that we even have it at all. Meet us in our joy, in our happiness, in our suffering, in our sadness. Meet us and show us the grace of Jesus and change us by it. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, I'm sure, uh, as some of you probably know, uh, there is tonight there is going to be a super blood wolf moon. Um, that's a colorful way of describing a lunar eclipse that happens when the moon is really close in its orbit to the Earth uh, during the first full moon of the year. Um, We haven't had one of those, one of those convergence of all four of those things happening in about 19 years, and it's basically awesome, and I love that stuff, and I keep track of that stuff, and I will be watching it tonight, hoping that the cloud cover uh, cooperates with it. So this last Thursday morning, I I mentioned this eclipse to some of the staff, uh, hoping, you know, to stir up a little bit of enthusiasm. And uh, reaction was sharply split among the staff. There were a couple of folks in the room uh, that morning who thought that it was cool or at least mildly interesting. 
Um, but there were others in the room, I'm not going to name any names, who met me with some uh, pretty stiff feedback. Feedback is in Aaron, no one cares about that stuff. And Aaron, uh, just because the calendar works that way doesn't mean I have to be excited about it. And Aaron, you always make them seem more rare than they really are. Now, <clears throat> I'm not sure why some of the staff hates the beauty and wonder and mystery of the created world. I cannot figure that out. But I did figure out pretty quickly that I had a perfect opening to this sermon because the reaction to the beauty and wonder and mystery of what happened on that Pentecost morning was also split, divided. Some in Jerusalem that morning, Luke says, were amazed. They were perplexed. They wondered to themselves, what does this thing mean? And others there that morning came up with a, a jaded, cynical brush off. Mocking, they said, they're filled with new wine. <laughs> They've got to be drunk because we have no other way of making sense out of what we've just seen. One event, two very different responses. And I can't help but wonder if Luke wants us to imagine where we fall out in response to that morning. So here's how Luke starts the story. He says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now that's a sentence that's dense with a lot of important details. If you were here last week, you might remember that one of the things that Jesus said to the apostles before he ascended was that it was okay for them to not know what they didn't need to know. He said, it's not for you to know exactly how things are going to work out from this point on. Now, they were smart, though, smart enough to know that seeing Jesus alive, I mean, really alive, after they had really seen him die, um, meant that they were living in a world that was changed. And Jesus' resurrection had awakened dreams of a changed new world in them, but as we saw last week, the dreams they had about that world had been too small and too narrow, and Jesus wants it to get bigger and bigger. So he tells them it's not okay, it's, it's just fine for you to not know exactly how things are going to play out from this point on. Your job right now is to go back to Jerusalem and to wait and to pray. You know, not exactly scintillating stuff, right? Just wait, stop running around, be quiet, and pray. What would you think if, if someone told you to do that? You know, people like us in places like this usually want to be people who do and do a lot. For many of us, our drug of choice is doing lots of stuff. And the more important that stuff seems to us and the more important that stuff seems to other people, the better it is. And the high we get from that drug is the imaginary validation that we're really important people who do really important things. But you know, that's an elusive high and it wears off quick and then we're just back where we started and we have to get busy all over again. What would it look like? What would it feel like to just wait and stop running around 
and be quiet and pray. Because that can and often does lead to the kind of validation that is not imaginary and the kind of validation that's not elusive. That often leads to the kind of validation that goes deep into who we are, that changes us, that helps us to live strong and sure in this world. I think that's the better thing that Jesus probably has in mind for some of us this morning. So Luke tells us there are 120 of these first Christians, and they are heeding that better thing, and they have enough humility, they have enough humility to know that they're not God and that that's probably okay. And they have come to this place where they believe that if God is going to do something great, whatever it is, it's going to be God who does it for them and with them and through them. And so they're going to have to just wait and pray. And so they're all together in one place. They're together in a house, as it turns out, and they're waiting and they're praying. And they're there by absolutely no coincidence at all on the day of Pentecost. God chooses to do what he's about ready to do on the day of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost was one of the big three Jewish agricultural festivals And what would happen on Pentecost is that people from all over the nation would come to Jerusalem with the first fruits of their grain harvest. They would come with just a token of the harvest that they were hoping for. And it was this beautiful celebration. It was a way to say, thank you, God, for bringing us this far. Thank you for being faithful to us up until this point. Please stay with us. Please bless the rest of the harvest. No doubt that's an awful lot like the prayers that those first Christians were praying while they waited in that room. God, we have no idea what you're doing. Thank you for bringing us this far. Please, please stay with us. And then Luke tells us what happened as they prayed. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Now, that this would have been strange and unsettling and exciting, that should be obvious to us. Right? I, I don't know if you noticed this as I read it, but even Luke, even Luke does not have exactly the right words to describe what was happening in that moment. He has to resort to analogy. The sound wasn't a wind. It was like a wind. The things that they saw weren't exactly fire. They were as fire. Something completely otherworldly. Something foreign to them. Foreign to their experience is happening to them. It's nothing they could have ever manufactured. It's nothing they could have ever done on their own. God is doing this to them. And they know it. And one of the reasons that they know it's God who's doing this is because this is not without precedent. God often visited his people in startling, unsettling ways. God had appeared to Abraham as a flaming torch and to Moses in a flaming bush. He led his people in pillars of fire and pillars of cloud. Isaiah has this vision of God that's all fire and trembling and smoke and I mean, even three of the guys in that room had seen something like this before when God transfigured Jesus in front of them and Peter flips out when it happens. 
God did things like this from time to time. It was usually terrifying and unbearable to the people who experienced it. And Luke just plainly describes what's happening to them. They were all being filled with the Holy Spirit. God is keeping his promise and he is filling each of them with his presence. But there is a big difference from that precedent that is very different on that Pentecost morning and we need to pay attention to it. That is that they are not terrified. They are not overcome. They do not find this to be unbearable. In fact, they are filled with great joy and they're filled with great power. Later on, Luke describes them as being in awe and having glad and generous hearts. And I think there's lots of reasons for this, but let me just mention one of them. It's the one that Jenny read about in the gospel lesson this morning where Jesus taught his disciples that he was going to go away. They were going to have to let him go, and that was okay. And then he says, I will not leave you as orphans. And the Apostle Paul picks up on that in a bunch of places in his letters when he connects having the Spirit to knowing without a doubt that we are not orphans. In Romans 8, he puts it like this. He says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We have the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And that's at least one of the reasons that those men and women and children that morning weren't terrified. They were experiencing for the first time in their lives the love of God the Father in a way that they had never, ever known it before. And that's one of the things that the Spirit does for everyone who is a Christian. He pours the love of God into our hearts. And he convinces us we really are his children. And we really are loved to the end no matter what. We really do have a home with God. We really do have a place with him. You know, my girls, they always know that I'm their father. Um, It's, you know, an indisputable legal fact. And if they wanted to, they could pull out the birth certificate And they could see my name listed as their father. And that's okay. (laughs) I'm glad it's there. But I live with them every day. (laughs) And we eat together, and we laugh together, and we argue together, and I drive them all over creation to get to all of their stuff. And I try to teach them every day, and sometimes I even use words when I try to teach them. And I grab them, and I give them hugs, and I kiss them on their heads, and I hold them as close as I can until they can't stand it anymore. (laughs) And I tell them that I love them. And that's how they really know. That's how they really know that I'm their father. Because they experience me as a father. And they know it deep in who they are. And I pray, you know, just like every parent here prays, that they will live strong in that and sure in that, and that it will go with them their whole lives. And let me tell you, church, that's exactly what those people are experiencing that morning of Pentecost. They are experiencing the love of God the Father for them. 
They are learning it deep inside of who they are, deep in their bones. They're learning for the first time to lean into it. And very soon they will learn to live out of that love, strong and secure. And I want us to know, church, I want us to know that is what the Spirit does to every follower of Jesus. He is doing it right now, right here this morning. You don't have to take my word for this. Jesus was crystal clear about it. I will not leave you as orphans. And if you're united to Jesus by faith, then you are not an orphan. You are a child of God. And he is with you. And he is for your good. And he is for your flourishing no matter what. And you have a home with the Father. And you have a place with the Father. That is what the Spirit is bearing witness to right now. And part of us growing up as Christians, part of us maturing in our faith, is learning to ask the Spirit again and again and again to know that love and to experience that love again. Please, Spirit, pour this into my heart again so that we can live strong and secure in that so that we can be the people that we were created to be our whole lives. And if you'll let me put a really fine point on it, people who experience that are people who stop running around and wait and pray. These are incredibly, incredibly important Christian disciplines for people like us in in places like this. Maybe more important than they had ever been as we breathe in the air of this world around us, awash with distraction, staring into the nothing of screens. We need to be a people who stop running around and who are quiet and who wait and pray that we would know the love of God that it would go into who we are, that we could live safe and strong and secure in it for the rest of our lives. So that's what's happening to those men and women and children that morning. And it's amazing. And then this is what happens. They begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. At some point, you know, and Luke doesn't tell us exactly when this group of people make it out of that upper room and they work their way through the streets of Jerusalem and they go to the temple where the throngs of pilgrims are everywhere come to celebrate the Passover and the racket that these Christians are making, the racket of that noise gathers the whole multitude together. And Luke says when the whole multitude gets together, they're bewildered. They can't believe it. And why why are they bewildered? They're bewildered because everyone in that crowd, no matter where they have come from, is hearing someone from that room speak to them in their native tongue. They're not just hearing any old thing. They're hearing the mighty works of God. This isn't uh, ecstatic, mystical speech. There's places in the New Testament that talk about that, but that's not what's happening here. Here's what's happening here. Someone from Egypt is hearing a person who, whose first language is Hebrew or Aramaic. They're hearing them speak to them in Egyptian. A Roman is hearing Latin spoken. A Parthian, a Mede, a Me- an Elamite. They're hearing the language that their mom and dad taught them that there's no way these people should know. And they're bewildered 
They're hearing about the mighty works of God and Jesus. It's a miracle. They, they can't make sense out of it. Not least of the, the reasons is because they know that these people are Galileans. And they just say it. <laughs> Aren't these Galileans? <laughs> and that might not mean much to us, but here's what they're saying when they say that. Aren't these just simple country people? We can hardly understand them when they speak Hebrew. How is this happening? And this is one of my favorite things about Pentecost. (laughs) The first Christians were largely uneducated people. And they did hail from a dusty backwater town because that dusty backwater town was where Jesus was from. And they did not have much to commend themselves. You know, not many of them were wise or powerful. They didn't have noble births. And church, it's a great reminder of how God does things in his world. God loves the foolish and the weak and the low and the despised and the mourners and the meek. He, he always uses the nothings to topple the things that are. Here's a bunch of men and women and children that are from nowheresville. And the last 50 days of their life have been nothing for them, if not profoundly confusing These are not people who know how to do cultural exegesis. Many of them can't read or write, and the ones who can read or write have certainly never read anything on how to do influence in the public square. These are not people being invited to do TED Talks. They have no wealth. They have nothing to commend themselves. Their leader is this cowardly fisherman who ran away from Jesus when it mattered the most. And none of this matters at all to God, who is about ready to use them to set the world on fire. He is about to use these people to turn the world upside down. The promise that Jesus made to them just 10 days before is coming to fruition, and things, this harvest... This harvest is about to get insane beyond their wildest dreams. It's going to spread like wildfire all around them. These 120 people, they're going to see new life come out of absolutely nothing. They're going to watch people hear for the first time in their lives that they can know God and be known by him, be forgiven by him, be loved by him, and they're going to want to do it. And these people with their very own hands will feed the hungry and set widows in homes and collect money for the poor. And they will see with their own eyes the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And church, it would be a great mistake to imagine that somehow God does his work differently now than he did then. Because by his spirit, God works through a people who are okay, not knowing what they don't need to know. He works through a people who are humbly learning to stop and to pray and to wait for him. Because the kingdom that he is building is his and not ours. And this father works through a people that he loves with a ferocity that will never be thwarted. For any reason, he works through a people who are learning to grow strong 
and confident in that love. And this is a people who Jesus called the church. (laughs) It's us. (laughs) Their origin story is our origin story. This is how we were born. It's in our blood. And this is where we come back to that beautiful epilogue. (laughs) Some of the people there, they can't believe it. They're amazed. They wonder what in the world does this mean? And other people said the first Christians must have been drunk that morning. (laughs) It's interesting to consider that, isn't it? Only people whose inhibitions have been sufficiently lowered are crazy enough to do stuff like this. People who, who aren't quite thinking like they should, they're the only ones who could do this. I don't know how they pulled it off. I don't want to know how they pulled it off. But they got to be drunk to act this strange. Strange enough to be a people who talk about sin and redemption. Strange enough to be a people who give their time and their resources, give everything that they have away with no strings attached. Strange enough who, to be a people who, who forgive the ones that nobody else wants to forgive. Strange enough to be a people who love their enemies. Strange enough to be a people who will touch the sick that no one else would touch. Strange enough to be a people who love God and love their neighbors as best that they can, like they love themselves. Strange enough to be a people who serve God and the world with a love that is self-giving. I don't know. (laughs) That's strange. People sounds like the kind of people this broken, tired, angry world needs. These are the strange people this broken, tired, angry city needs. So I have a big glass of whatever they're having. (laughs) And I hope you will too. And by God's grace, it is ours in abundance because he has sent the spirit to his church so that we can know that we are loved so that we can live as the people we were created to be. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask, as we often do, that you would help us to see and to believe. That we would be (laughs) numbered with those that morning who say, wow, I don't know what this means, and begin to suss it out, that you have poured your spirit into our hearts so that we know that we are your children and we are loved and we can be who you have made us to be in this world. Father, we ask that you would do this for our good and for the good of the broken world around us. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.